Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. Today's guest, Elizabeth Ticoyan, was diagnosed with Lyme disease as a teenager and created a social network for people with chronic illnesses and disabilities to find connection. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. So happy to have you here. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. So I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, born and raised, but ethnically Armenian and uh, very proud of my Armenian identity. I had a very normal childhood until I got Lyme disease in high school, and that just changed everything, all my life plans and everything I had planned prior to being sick. But luckily, it led to founding Riley app. And I came up with the idea when I was a student at UVA. And now that's my passion project, my baby and what I'm working on these days and age. I love that. Well, we will be digging into all of that. Let's start with your diagnosis. So you were misdiagnosed many times. Can you talk a little bit about your journey of getting misdiagnosis that then led to a actual diagnosis? Sure. So this happened when I was in high school. And during that time, a lot of students or a lot of people were just assuming that I was anxious about college. I was very type A, workaholic. And so when I had symptoms, people were just saying, oh, it's anxiety. I would go to doctors and they would dismiss me. But then I kept getting worse and worse. I got to the point where I was having a speech impediment I was going to doctors and they're like, oh, it might be a chemical imbalance. They would take me to therapy. And they started then diagnosing me with celiac. And I even got tested for learning disabilities because of how my memory has been impacted with whatever it might have been. But it was at the end of my senior year when I finally passed out my doctor's office. At that point, uh, I was dismissed many times and, you know, my doctors weren't taking me seriously. You looked fine. The blood work wasn't saying anything. But when I passed out my doctor's office, they're like, okay, something really serious is going on. So they did all kinds of blood work and sent it out to all kinds of labs. Two of the labs confirmed that I had Lyme disease. Another lab said that the blood test came out negative. So like with Lyme disease, a lot of these tests come out false negatives. But luckily, because my doctor sent it out to a number of labs, they found out what it was. But it was too late by that time. What do you mean it was too late at that time? So it reached a chronic stage. And whatever the damage was done to my body was irreversible. So today I have nerve damage on the entire right side of my body. I have some memory problems, energy problems, and I see a doctor every few months just to maintain symptoms. And I take around 20 pills a day, but they told me there's absolutely no cure. I could take antibiotics. I could take all kinds of things, but what happened to me, there's nothing that could have been done to reverse it or no medicine can ever get me back to how I used to be. 
So what did it feel like for you to be told that, especially in high school? Honestly, it was a really big shock to my confidence and my self-esteem. Prior to being sick, I was very type A to the point where I wanted no help from anyone. I was very hardworking. I was even working on a company when I was in high school. I was working on a prototype that got confirmed with a manufacturing company to start an eco-friendly tampon line. I was hardcore like entrepreneur back in the day, hardcore like working on doing well in school. And I had really high ambitions. And I had to go from type A to being reliant on everyone and then being told that this is going to be my reality forevermore. It was extremely devastating. And I didn't have a normal life prior. Everything I was doing in high school, I basically did so I can get into a top school. And then that dream was taken away from me. I started at community college. I dropped out of school three times. And that whole experience really put a toll on my self-esteem. And I had to watch all my friends go to college, start their new journeys, basically everything I worked for in my life. And I had a lot of trouble coming to grasp that that's my new reality. And I rebelled for a long time. I was just doing all kinds of things. Um, I was in complete denial. My doctors would give me medicine that I would take. I wouldn't take it. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. But then I would get so sick, like I couldn't get out of bed. So it really was difficult for me to understand that this is my new reality. What were those conversations like with friends, especially when you received that diagnosis or even before? Were they in the loop of what was going on and what you were coping with? Not many people when I was in high school knew what was going on. Everyone made fun of me. They thought I was doing things to get out of school as if it's fun to miss out on your high school. Um, But a lot of people just assumed that I was fine. But when I would talk to friends, they didn't really know. I didn't want to open up about it. Again, because of the stigmas, because of what people assumed about health issues, I just didn't open up with people that were in my friend circle. Like Some people had an idea that something was wrong, but they didn't know the severity of what I was going through. So I kept that conversation quiet, especially when I was dating too. I didn't really want to talk about it. I didn't want them to think that, oh, they're going to have to take care of me or, you know, I didn't want people to assume something about me just because of what people think when you say I have a health issue. Absolutely. But what's interesting is that clearly, you know, over time you started a business and started sharing, but in recognizing that people could make assumptions, did you ever think to be forthcoming in order to sort of bash those assumptions? I wasn't because I was in a position in my life where I was at a community college, everyone made fun of me. They just assumed that I was not smart. On top of not being smart for being at a community college, I had a health issue. I had a disability. Like, How many more tabs can I add to people just constantly bashing me or making me feel like I was inferior to them? Because I am from DC. People put a really big emphasis on what school you go to. What do you do for a living? Even the families around me, Oh, they all they do is talk about their kids and what position they're at in life, what schools they attended. So I had many ticks against me in terms of where I'm from and the people I was surrounding myself with. And I didn't want to talk about my health because of the stigmas around it. 
And even when I was working on Riley, you have no idea how many people told me in the early stages, don't you dare talk about your health. People are never going to invest in you. People are going to assume all kinds of things. All the investors are going to ask who's going to take over if you get sick, who's going to you know, do this if you end up getting hospitalized. And so I had to really come to a moment in my life where I was going to say, I'm going to keep this private to myself, or I'm going to make this my calling and make this something that will help thousands, if not millions of people one day. I Hiding behind a closed door, hiding behind everything people were saying, you know, I knew that I was getting backlash and I was getting backlash and I still am getting backlash. Like people do poke fun of my health issues. If they want to jab me, they bring it up. But that being said, I knew that if I don't open up about it, I will never change the stigma. I have to show people that you can become a successful entrepreneur, do a successful in school, have an amazing life despite your health issues. And I'm trying to you know, not only elevate my story, but the other people around me that are doing just that. There's many successful people with health issues that keep it quiet because of stigmas. And we're trying to highlight those people through our social media campaigns. I love that so much. And I think you just brought up so many, so many important points. The first thing I want to address with that is, did you have any outlet, any way that you were expressing your emotions and your feelings while going through this period? Did you write? Did you have family? Did you have a therapist? What did that look like? I kept a lot of it to myself. Even my family, they didn't know the severity of how bad it was. I spent so many nights crying myself to sleep. I'm like, my life is horrible. I'm never going to get better. And also like with friends, a lot of them moved on with their life. So I didn't really open up to a lot of friends. I had one or two friends that knew of the severity of what I was going through. But a lot of what I was going through was a personal battle for myself. Uh, No one really like openly knew how much it impacted my self-esteem, impacted what I felt about myself or what I'm worthy of. And I didn't want other people to feel burdened about my health issue. I always felt like it was a burden. Like my family already spent a lot of money on my health problems. I didn't want them to realize that, oh my goodness, she's also going through a whole emotional problems and, you know, really battling a lot of other things. Like I always felt like a burden being sick. Again, that's because I was very type A. I was the type that I was like, by 20, I'm going to live on my own and I'm going to be successful. I really was like, that hardworking when I was young. And then for being that way to having to change up everything and my pace of things is going, it's so much slower than I was. But I just really didn't want other people to feel burdened with what I was going through. I can really relate to that. And I think when you and I first spoke earlier this year, we talked a lot about that concept of me hiding my health for 27 years and not wanting to be a burden and also having a lot of shame around what I was going through, which eventually really made it, you know, worse for me. With the one or two friends that you mentioned, do you remember how you addressed it with them and sort of acknowledged what you were going through? And do you feel like they were compassionate and understanding? Yeah, one of my friends, she's a nurse, and she's honestly an angel in this world, because I would just call her some days. And 
most of that call was just me crying about my life. And she was just always there for me. She never like made me feel small. She never made this about herself. She was just there for me. Like for any time I needed to vent, she was all ears. And then my other friend, she was more so like, let's go out, let's have fun, let's party, let's like use humor to try to change the mood. And so she was a ball of light. She was the reason why I had any type of a social life because she would just bring me along to everything going on. Despite how sick I was, I would take naps in her house and then we would go out and I would always leave early because of how tired and sick I was feeling. But she really tried to lighten up the mood with her personality and with just her being a ball of light. I love that. It's so important to have those people. And one really can go a long way. You know, you don't need to have a hundred friends that understand this, but having the right people that serve certain purposes is really huge. You've mentioned numerous times the concept of feeling really sick and not having the energy to do things. What were those symptoms that you were experiencing around this time? At my worst, I was using a mobility aid. I would use walking aids to get around and I would go to class right after treatments, like eight hour IV treatments. I would tell my professors that I was going through treatment and they would be like, okay, cool. If I'm falling asleep in class, they knew I was recording my lectures, but I would be asleep in most of my classes with my phone out to record all lectures so that once I do have some energy, I could listen to my lectures from class. Um, And they were okay with it. They knew how hard I was working. I was always in office hours, but I was sleeping through most of my classes and I still ended up doing really well because they were so helpful and accommodating. That's so, so, so huge. I mean, it really makes me think of the episode that I had with Hannah Olson. Do you know her? I've heard a lot about her, but I've never met her. So she's amazing and she has the company Chronically Capable. And a lot of what you mentioned about work and accommodations really makes me think of her and the importance of realizing that people with chronic and invisible illnesses and disabilities can work and can get things accomplished and can be good employees and students. There just may need to be some accommodations made for them. So I love that you had teachers that were really understanding and willing to work with you in order for you to graduate. Exactly. And I I'm indebted to these people because I would have never done as well in my classes if it wasn't for them being accommodating. Like a student sleeping in class is not a good look, but they really knew I was trying to finish school despite my health issues. And, you know, they would move deadlines for me. They would really help me out when I was in need. Um, But another aspect of what was really impacting me was my memory. I had times when my memory would completely just be erased or like someone would talk to me and I couldn't remember anything. So I would have to write down every single thing people would say, read it, and then respond back to them. I can't explain to you how I was able to go through school with that bad of a memory problem. It also impacted my speech because my entire right side was numb and I couldn't like put weight on my back. I I had to use a rolling backpack to like carry things around. But Because my whole right side was numb when I would speak, it would come out as in like it slurred or I would have an impediment. There are times where it comes back or my speech isn't very clear, but it really impacted all kinds of things. 
Support for this podcast and the following message comes from BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P, an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. No matter where you are in the world, BetterHelp lets you schedule video and phone sessions with your therapist or even text them. Not only is it convenient, but it's also affordable. BetterHelp's therapists specialize in many different issues from depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, self-esteem, and more. I've talked with many guests about the importance of therapy, and it's something I believe everyone can benefit from. It's so valuable to be able to talk to someone with an informed outsider's perspective. With BetterHelp, you can have these conversations at your own pace, through a secure online platform, and with a counselor you love and who gets you. It's not self-help, it's BetterHelp. Made Visible listeners can get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com backslash made visible. That's betterhelp.com slash made visible. And now back to the show. As a type A person, I get a feeling that you sort of figured out what accommodations you needed to make for yourself and found ways to make things work. Were there any resources or people or doctors that were valuable for you in figuring out these sort of changes and adjustments that you needed to make in your life? Oh, most definitely. Honestly, I had to realize the importance of asking for help, despite how uncomfortable it is to ask for help. Before starting the semester, I would go to my professors, each and every one of my professors, and we all have the option to never disclose the health condition or disability. It is not like written anywhere that you have to talk about it. But I took it upon myself to explain to them like on a human to human level, hey, I have all these health issues. This is what my treatment plan is like. And I really need help to graduate and do well. And you know, there are times when I have to move my deadlines, or there are times when treatment is really not sitting well with me, and I just need to move my exam date. I had many professors that were very helpful and very accommodating. But when I didn't have a helpful professor, the disability centers came in and they were very helpful with me trying to get accommodations from my professors. Because there's times when there are people that just did not want to provide the necessary accommodations that I needed, or they would make a fuss about it. But disability centers were there to make sure that the professors complied. But people don't understand the value of just going to your professors or anyone in general Uh, to say, hey, I'm going through this. And, you know, sometimes people speculate or they make assumptions because they just don't know the story. Explaining the story helps people become more empathetic and they want to help you more. And despite how uncomfortable it was to do that, and despite how many people are against doing that, it really helped me. That's really huge. And that's a really good point that I think is valuable to so many of our listeners Um, You brought up the fact that when you say disability, people don't understand what this entails. And I'm sure, you know, like many other people listening or past guests of the show who have invisible illnesses are in a similar boat, that there's a stigma attached to disability. What does disability mean to you in the context of your life? It means a lot. Uh, Firstly, I think the word disability, many people... What they think of is it's some person in a wheelchair or has to have something that makes them look disabled or 
they're getting government funding and they're living at home and they don't have any type of life or like they're not able to lead any kind of normal life. So when I say the word disability, a lot of times people like raise their eyebrows, like what you, you look fine, you speak fine. Like how on earth do you have a disability? So for me, what I define as disability is I'm personally impacted by my health. Like I'm comparing myself to entrepreneurs and people in my circle that are startup founders. And these are people that are working crazy hours a day and they don't stop. And for me, my disability, I can't do that. I have to take breaks when I have times when my symptoms are popping up. I cannot operate or work in the same capacity that most of these people do. And so um, for me, I have to understand that there are times when I'm pitching my startup or doing things that other founders are doing. And I might not be performing at the level that I know I can because of my health or because I'm having a speech impediment or because I'm flaring up and I cannot for the life of me process or articulate myself the way I can. But I'm still doing it despite the complications and the setbacks that it's bringing me. It's interesting because I'm thinking about my own experience with that. And I feel that before I started my business six years ago, working for other people, managing my health was a lot harder because I had the external people who I had to make sure were happy and I was delivering, you know, the best work possible too. And I had to work on their schedule and be available and all of that. And startups are different from being a business coach and doing the work that I do. But I feel that for myself, and obviously this is not for everybody, working for myself has given me that freedom and flexibility to create the schedule that I need for myself. So to your point, if you need a nap in the middle of the day, if I need to meditate in the middle of the day or take a break or have a day where I just simply cannot be productive because my health is sort of ruling the day. The fact that you can do those things as a business owner, I think is incredibly valuable compared to working for another company where they may be less understanding, less compassionate, and really just want the job done. Mm -hmm. I agree completely. I see it so much where I have to take a break in the middle of the day and I'm able to do that. But when we were working in person, I couldn't take breaks with the team around me. I couldn't like leave early to take a break. But when I went like now that we're working remotely, it's been really helpful for my health. But when we were working with a team of people like in person, I couldn't just leave midday, but I could slow things down a bit more. But I do foresee when things do get back to normal, and we do end up doing things in person, I have to really think through how do we make accommodations? Because, you know, even as a leader, a lot of times people just assume, okay, well, the second she comes in, she's ready to go uh, work from morning to night without breaks. But I, I need to take breaks. And I don't want to constantly tell people about, hey, I really need to take a break now. And I really need to rest it's something that I have to still battle and come to terms that other people can see it and it won't make them look at you any differently. I definitely hear that. And I remember the first few years in business. And I think it comes with being a business owner with or without a disability or health issue is creating a life that you want and the structure that you want. 
and letting go of how Mm -hmm. other people view you and the way that you run your business. And I think it's something that over time, I've certainly gotten better with of like, I don't really give a shit if people see, you know, look on Instagram Mm -hmm. and think that like, I'm doing absolutely nothing for my business on a given day. My clients are happy. The podcast is running. My business is, you know, growing. All these positive things are happening. How and when it works on the back end doesn't matter as long as it feels right for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge thing to just sort of evaluate for yourself of, sure, if you have a team, you know, you want to be transparent to a certain extent, but you don't have to tell them of all of your whereabouts as long as you're doing what's best for you and for the company and for the team. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. And I think that what you're saying, there's a level of maturity and a level of self-acceptance that comes with being happy and content with getting to that point. And I think it's something that a lot of people in the disability and patient community, they have a really difficult time coming to the exact point that you've gotten to. Um, And it's just like, you know, not caring what people think all the time. And I have had that issue of, oh my goodness, I'm not doing enough to, you know, appease this mentor or this person or that person, or I'm getting slack for doing this or you know, everyone has an opinion about what you're doing all the time. And it's it gets hard on you sometimes when people are constantly bashing you and your work, or why are you doing this? And so like, constantly getting bashed at or like people constantly trying to put your work down. It does make me feel like, okay, I'm still needing to get to a point where it's okay. It's fine that you know, everyone has all these opinions, and I can still do me And I'm still killing it despite what people say. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly it. It's about coming to an acceptance level of there's always going to be haters and people who make judgment. But at the end of the day, if you're happy with what you're bringing to the world and what you're accomplishing, that's huge. I wrote an article a few years ago for Women 2.0 on the myths about entrepreneurship and how to handle them. And it wasn't related to chronic illness, but I'll be sure to include it in the show notes, because I think it's such an important thing to think about in just sort of recognizing how you want to be identified publicly Mm -hmm. and how you are cool internally with whatever chatter is going on outside in the world. Um, You've mentioned Riley here and there. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is the Riley app and why did you decide to create it when you were in school? Yeah, so the Riley app, it's a patient networking app. Similar to how Bumble BFF is, but we've created it for patients. It's not a dating app at all, but it's more so a way for someone with a health condition or a disability to meet someone else with the same condition on a one-to-one basis who has the same interests, passions. And, you know, once you match, you can take the conversation wherever you want. But I started it because when I was sick, No one around me could relate. Everyone around me who was sick in treatment centers were three times my age. And I couldn't really find someone that could, you know, tell me about school, tell me about dating, what doctors really work. And I really wanted to talk to other people in my shoes, but it was nearly impossible finding them. So that's really what inspired me to start this. And I thought I was the only one who experienced that loneliness and, you know, that disconnect with feeling like, wow, my story, am I the only one experiencing that? But after doing customer discovery interviews, I was certain that 
this is a massive problem and it's very untapped. And so we launched in January and we've been growing a lot since COVID. Since everything shut down, a lot of people are wanting support. They're, you know, feeling lonely. And so we've been having a lot of people come on board. And I'm really thankful to see where we've come with all the setbacks and, you know, everything that's happened with COVID, all kinds of startups are shutting down, but we've been growing a lot and we are excited to see what is to come in the future. That's incredible. So you spent years sort of internalizing this and managing your own health alone and choosing not to be vocal about it. So what made you make that pivot to go, I need the support and I want to help other people find it? It really was in a way for personal reasons. I was still uncomfortable with talking about my health. I was really uncomfortable with like accepting that I'm sick. And you know, even in my culture or a lot of cultures, having a disability or having a health issue, a lot of people are constantly like, well, no one's gonna ever date you. Or there's just a lot of assumptions about having a health issue. And I had a lot of issues with like my self esteem. And I never felt like I was the smart kid. I wasn't the smart kid. I'm severely dyslexic. And so school was hard. A lot of things were really hard. On top of that, I had health issues. And I'm like, for goodness sake, like, there has to be other people that figure this out that are happy with their life and are accomplishing a great deal. I couldn't find them. And I was really wanting to get inspiration from these people because I really wanted to see that there was a way out. So I was like, you know what, how about we create that platform and share stories and, you know, show people that we have boss babes all across the world that are killing it despite their health issue, despite their disabilities. And the more that we saw people sharing their stories on our social media accounts, the more that we kept seeing more people opening up. I've gotten like thousands of messages of people that you would have never imagined how health issues or disabilities that were like, oh my goodness, I have this too. I'm seeing all these stories and it's really helping me cope. And I'm really seeing myself in all these people's shoes. Because we always think sick people or someone with a disability is just this old person or someone that's staying at home. And it's so not true. There's so many people that are doing so much in this world, but we don't talk about it because of the stigma. Like even recently we had, was it Chadwick Boatsman who for four years he was living with cancer. He never talked about it openly. And I knew like as someone with a health issue, like I know that guy probably never talked about it because of the stigma and how many times like people would just assume he wouldn't be able to do anything. And, you know, we all were shocked when he passed away, rest his soul. But, you know, now that he passed away, we saw all kinds of people apologizing for making fun of him. People were making fun of his appearance and all kinds of things, not realizing his story and what he was going through behind closed doors. That was so sad finding that out. But I did not know that there's been people apologizing. I didn't know that that was a thing. That's even more heartbreaking. Wow. But it definitely shows us that there's a lot of work that needs to be done a lot because we have celebrities like Chadwick Boseman. He's known across the world for the work he's done. And he can't talk about his health openly. And unfortunately, people made assumptions and made fun of him for how he was looking because he did look like he was losing weight. 
you know, with cancer, like your appearance does change for some people and people instead of like being compassionate or leaving their comments to themselves, they're bashing this guy all over social media. Oh, I totally didn't see that part of it. That's horrific. You bring up such interesting points. And I wonder, at what point did you start sharing your story? And you start talking about your experience publicly, as it related to Riley? I mean, is that part of your story and pitching to investors? What did that look Mm -hmm. like? So I honestly did not open up about my health until I reached a level of success that I was proud of. I didn't want to talk about my health openly because I didn't want people to message me, woe is me, or like, I know some people need to, you know, get support from their social networks, but I personally didn't want to be that person. I don't enjoy when people um, as, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through this and feel sorry for me. Same. So (laughs) it's honestly something that I was like, you know what? It's just a part of me. It's not my whole identity. I have so much more that I bring to the table. I did really, really well in school, despite battling my health every single day. I got top of my class at both community college and UVA, I was inducted into the highest honor societies. And I started a company while I was in university. And I got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm not in a position anymore where I feel like if I open up about my health, it's just going to be about my health. Like I bring so much more to the table. And once I was proud of what I've been able to accomplish, and when Riley app started becoming a thing, I made that decision of, am I going to talk about my health? after I become successful? Or am I going to talk about it early on and make it a part of our story and a part of of my pitches? And it really resonated with people as soon as I started opening up about my health. But I really was not comfortable until I myself felt like I was in a point where I, I felt proud of what I've been able to do. And it's not just like, oh, my whole identity is just my health, because it's not. I have so much more to bring to the table than just that. So what was that proud moment for you? My insecurity a lot was doing well in school. I did not do well in high school. I did well until I got sick. And then my memory, it completely was stripped from me. I had severe memory loss and that impacted my grades. But I started at community college and I got a 4.0 at community college And then I transferred to UVA. And when I transferred to UVA, that was like one of the places that I was like, whoa, how the heck did I go from this kid that everyone was like, you're not going anywhere in life. Like UVA is a school that like everyone would just tell me I would never, ever end up at a place like that because it was too dumb or whatever. So once I started doing like I was doing really well at school and I just was very proud It was not related to my work, but more so I was like, yes, I did it despite what people would say about my academics. It's interesting because so much of the thread of your story is criticism and feedback and suggestions on how not to live your life. Mm -hmm. How did you and do you handle that and sort of say, screw the haters? Oh, yeah. No, I really came to a point where I had a really bad experience with a friend ex-friend, let me say that. Basically, I had a conversation with this person and they basically told me that I would probably not amount to anything because 
you're like, oh, no, like, you know, you're not this way. You know, I don't think you would ever end up becoming anything. Like, they just bashed me completely to my core, like, basically made me seem like I was someone that would not amount to anything. I was just thinking, you know, I don't fit like this mold of what people expect. And I kept trying to fit this mold so that, you know, I don't want people to assume that I'm not smart. So I have to act and talk and dress a certain way. And it would be in a lot of these social circles where I felt like, wow, like I don't belong here because I don't have this accolade or that accolade. But then I reached a point where I was like, the more that I was authentic to my story and my own health battle, and I stopped caring what people thought, I started putting my story out there. I brought my humor to the table. I brought my essence, like who makes me me out to the public. And yeah, I got people who didn't like that. But then I got a whole other side of the spectrum where people were like, holy crap, I got you. Like, I totally understand. I love your story. What you're doing is so impressive. And the more I talked about myself and the more open I was about who I am, the more people resonated with my story. And I started growing like a massive social media following on TikTok. And it was just because I was being very authentic with who I am. And I was scared of what people would say because I I wanted to appease certain people or, oh my goodness, this investor won't invest in you because of, you know, you can't talk this way. When you're pitching, don't you dare say jokes like that. But, you know, the more I was staying true to me, it's like, look, the data speaks for itself. Like, I don't need to change myself to show people that, hey, like, I can produce great things. Like, I'm trying to do something completely different than what was done before. I can't do it if I act like everyone else, talk like everyone else, think like everyone else. Like, I got to bring my authentic story and my personality to bring some change to this industry and to this world. And I can't do that if I keep acting and being in this mold that everyone is expecting of me. Amen. I love that so much. Oh, thank you. But really, I mean, I think it's like to have that aha of like, stop trying to be something you're not. The humor component is such an important one in going through all of this. I mean, if you're moping your way through living with an invisible illness, like, you know, it's just that much more challenging. What advice do you have for people who are founders of businesses that are also navigating life with a chronic illness and or disability? My number one advice is don't tell everyone about your dreams because the hardest part is believing in yourself and believing that you can do it. A lot of people want to bash you and put you down. And when you have the disability or health issue alongside that, the number of people that are doubting you are much, much more. And because it's it's hard to just do it and hard to persevere. And it's much more difficult when people are really, really like speaking negatively about what you're doing and, and the work that you're doing. And so I really recommend you keeping your dreams to yourself and let the data speak for itself. And you don't have to tell everyone about what you're doing because not everyone will get it. The people that will get it will come to you and they will understand and they will want to work with you. But you don't need to go out and convince every single person out there that you are creating something genius because not everyone else will get it. Like you could be the sweetest peach in the world and people will still not like you and people will still not like the taste of peaches. So I really spent a lot of time trying to explain my ideas to people that 
were skeptical or didn't understand it. But I could have spent all that time just showing people that got my idea immediately. And, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that you can do it. And you are the person that will be able to break down doors and make it happen. And having all kinds of people that are expecting you to not do it in your circle is unhealthy. So be around the people that support you, that really see your vision through and keep them close to you. And if anything, try to expand that circle. You don't need more people to say you can't do it because they're all out there. How did you find the support system that you have now? A lot of it is personal friends, uh, personal family and dear mentors. And I had a lot of people that from even just doing things on social media and sharing my story more, I had all kinds of people reaching out to me. But really, just being true to my story and true to you, look, I am this person. And look, I don't have all my answers. I don't know exactly what it takes, but I will figure it out. And a lot of my mentors that saw that side of me were like, okay, I support you. And I want to help you get to where you want to be. And so some of them are really dear professors that I had at university. Some of them were amazing people I met at conferences. And some of them are just personal friends that are my dearest cheerleaders. Every time I feel down about what I'm doing, they're always like, dude, you're killing it. Like, keep going. And you don't understand, like, just one positive comment is sometimes what it takes to keep going. Yeah, it can go a really long way. And it's important to have those people to serve different roles in your life, just like your friends in college, like the one that was supportive and the other one that was more like the party person. Mm -hmm. They serve different purposes, but they're still both extremely valuable. I love the angle that we talked about today and just sort of doing things the way that you want to do it and not letting anyone get in your way and not letting your health get in your way, which is a huge thing, while still managing it and taking care of yourself. Where can people find you and join Riley? Sure. So you can join Riley. We're currently in the Apple Store, but we'll be out on Android very soon. So if you just look up Riley app, R-I-L-E-Y-A-P-P. And if you want to come to our website, it's RileyApp.co. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Instagram, on TikTok as Elizabeth Tikoyan underscore and LinkedIn if you want to get in touch with me professionally. But happy to connect with anyone that is interested in working in the space or sees that Riley could be a helpful tool to their community or to their members. Amazing. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me, Harper. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com and follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Grisillo for the design.